Wait, that's a thing? Never heard of it. Oh, you have no idea. This is Haven Space, a safe place for fantasies. Brought to you by sex coach and researcher Sarah Perry. Hi, folks. This is Sarah Perry, and welcome back to Haven Space. This week, I'm going to switch it up a little bit, and we are not going to be talking about a fetish per se. In fact, we are going to be having a very difficult, very heavy conversation about pedophilia. There have been many times that I have wanted to do this podcast and do this post, and I haven't because it is a triggering subject for a lot of people because it is a difficult subject that brings up so many emotions that are gatekeeping emotions that we simply cannot have a conversation and really absorb information because we are defensive, we are protective about the subject. I still think that it is critically important to have these conversations. I am honored if you have listened this far and want to continue listening and hear a little bit about what I know about pedophilia and I in no way am an expert. The extent of what I have done is sit through a one-hour plenary with an expert and subscribe to some sexuality journals that actually write about it and I've kept up with some um, pretty well-known sex researchers that focus on pedophilia. That is it. But I will say, considering most of the education we receive about pedophilia is in the form of a meme that says the only, um, the only cure for a pedophile is a bullet in the head and has an image of a gun pointed at you, then of course I have much more knowledge than a lot of people in our society likely do about pedophilia. Just like in any podcast though, by the end of this podcast, you should know what pedophilia is, what it isn't, what it includes, what it doesn't include, and ways that we as a society have to be better so that people can get better treatment and access to support. That way our children are actually in less danger than if we go about acting like we're going to violently murder everybody. This is basically a narrative summary of a blog post that I wrote, and feel free to go check it out on sarahperry.com, S-A-R-A-Perry.com, where you can find my blog and some of my kind of ramblings about some things that I feel strongly about, but not so much very sexuality-focused like my podcast is. So I'm going to start with the very basics, right? What is pedophilia? Pedophilia is not child abuse. Pedophilia is not being a child molester. Pedophilia is not being a child trafficker. Um, Pedophilia is simply put the sexual attraction to prepubescent children. When we think of pedophilia, we tend to think of people that are just guys in their 20s, 30s, 40s that are wanting to screw around with 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds. But that's actually not the case. In fact, um, pedophilia only refers to people who are prepubescent, like think of a seven-year-old with their tiny little child bodies and the way their bodies virtually have no kind of curves and they have like a little bit of baby fat, a pedophile would find these qualities to be sexually attractive. 
yes, it sounds gross. I get it. And I don't want to have to preface during this entire podcast and say and repeat over and over that this is not something that I agree with. I don't know anybody who agrees with pedophilia. In fact, even pedophiles don't agree with pedophilia. They deal with very high incidences of mental health issues aside from the fact that they are pedophiles because yes you just had the thought well being a pedophile is a mental health issue but other issues when it comes to like trauma shame suicidal tendencies and um these kind of maladaptive tools that they have to cope because there is no help available um, at least not widespread for people that have sexual attraction to prepubescent children um people who are attractive attracted to kids that are pubescent um so we're talking let's say from 9 to about 12 13 we're talking about people that have hebophilia and the bodies of kind of a child going through puberty are very different as you can imagine to the bodies of um little tiny kids and then even aside from that there are people that are attracted to toddlers and even infants well we have to break down how these attractions are developed in order to understand why anyone would ever be capable of finding those things attractive. And I'm going to touch on that a little bit later, so don't fret. But right now I want to talk about these chronophilias is what we call the attraction to different ages. We tend though to also vilify people who date um postpubescent children, right? So I was saying we think of pedophilia as these like middle-aged men who are trying to date 14, 15-year-olds, well, technically, the age of attraction should be our most heightened fertile age, which is immediately after puberty. In fact, for most of civilization, that is when relationships happen, that is when sex started to happen, and that is when people reproduced. So just because in our society, we don't think these people of these ages are acceptable to marry and date and have sex in fact we don't actually even give them the ability to consent to sex until they are adults that doesn't mean that naturally our instinct wouldn't be to be attracted to that body type uh i can tell you from personal experience 14 year old sarah had a very very similar body to the body that i have now after having two kids and in my mid 30s why well because i went through puberty i became an adult and This is the case for many people. In fact, most people that get caught in very compromising situations with minors when they are not inside of their peer group disclose that they didn't even know what their age was, that they just assumed they were adults. And for a lot of kids until they do something childlike, like behave, like talk and and prance around in mannerisms that are more youthful or use language that is more youthful, you really can't tell. I don't know if you've had this experience, but if you've driven past a high school, for example, I'm always flabbergasted that this is what teenagers look like. In fact, driving by a middle school the other day, I thought there is no way this is middle school because these kids are humongous. But that is the world we live in, the hormones we eat and society in general. When you become an adult, when you pass puberty, your body has the same body of an adult, even if your mind doesn't, and even if we've created laws to protect the minds and bodies of children so that we can make sure we're kind of following guidelines to keep everybody a little bit more safe from coercion and toxic relationships. We should also note that there are um 
chronophilias towards elderly people. Elderly people actually can be a fetish for some. There is a kind of um, chronophilia towards middle-aged people, and that's where like the MILF comes in. The GILF would be the elderly people fetish, right? So we do have conversations about age-based attraction. In fact, most people you know have an age-based attraction. We're not used to calling these things sexual attractions because we think sexual attraction has to do with gender. And most of the time, we're kind of labeling it that way because it makes people kind of a little bit... It gives people more freedom to explain how they are and how they live life and to fight for access to the things they love. But in the case of chronophilias, we're just talking about what you're attracted to. We're not giving you permission to be attracted to that. This is the big controversial statement that pedophilia is a sexual orientation. It is, just like every other chronophilia. That doesn't mean you have to be okay with it. It doesn't mean that it's acceptable. It doesn't mean that there's going to be some activist group fighting for pedophiles to have access to the children they love and want to sleep with. That's not the case. In fact, I shouldn't even have said and want to sleep with because most pedophiles actually want nothing to do physically with children and feel very troubled by their own emotions. Remember, child abusers are completely different than pedophiles. A pedophile is a person that is attracted, not someone that has necessarily acted out. In fact, it's estimated that about 1% of all men and about 0.1% of all women have um, attraction to prepubescent children. And when you consider those numbers, you have to recognize that there are people all around us that are not saying this out loud. And without saying it out loud, that doesn't mean it goes away. And that doesn't mean that they're less likely to act out later. In fact, shunning people more into the dark would send them into places that are not as safe or perhaps where they can find access to child pornography or other types of stimulation to get their craving without having to assault children simply because they don't have the tools to handle that kind of attraction. You should also know that most of the people in our society that molest children are not pedophiles. Their brain structure is not the brain structure of a pedophile. They are in fact abusers through violence. And violent abusers have a different motivation for abusing children. Their motivation is control and power. Most of the time, these are people who have been abused themselves, either physically or sexually. And that is the link that we find, that it's not that pedophiles molest children, it's that people who have been molested tend to molest children. So in that token, we should be focusing our efforts for therapy and for support to people who were molested as children and try to heal kind of these um, hereditary traumas that continue happening. Because research is showing that that is where the abuse is coming from and that's how we can curb it, right? Because if we can prevent one child from being abused, that means we can prevent that child from growing up to be an abuser, technically. Also remember that the people kidnapping children tend not to be pedophiles. The people kidnapping children tend to be people who are marketing, who are literally selling human bodies as slaves for other people. And these are very distinguishing characteristics. I mean, we have to be able to recognize there's a whole market for this and closing that market and identifying who's trying to exploit that market for kids is going to be a better way to solve the issue of our children disappearing and getting shipped off to different areas or being held hostage. So we must do better.
You should also know that most of the pedophiles that we actually know about are people who have been watching child pornography because it's kind of a super traceable crime. So while some people may use specific computers that are not trackable, in general, most people have regular computers that are super trackable. And the moment they start looking for child pornography, it shows up. In fact, some of the places that I'm going to give you at the end of this podcast for support groups for pedophiles who have not offended and who would like to find a community that can give them the tools to continue non-offending are actually tracking computers for child pornography before you even log into the site. This in fact is a brilliant way to keep the people inside of these communities safe. And in this case, I mean safe by keeping them away from pedophiles who are already crossing boundaries and breaking the law and contributing to child sex trade by making sure that the people that are logging into these support sites have clean computers, they're also making sure that their community is safe of offending pedophiles, which seems brilliant, right? I want you to consider, for example, the case of the 16-year-old that went to his high school counselor to ask for support. The mother wrote a blog post about it, and she said one of the worst phone calls you can get is a child uh, school public school counselor calling you to say, look, you need to come in. We need to have a conversation about something. And the conversation was that this 16 year old had realized that they were a pedophile. And the way he tells a story through his mother, who has of course chosen to remain anonymous, um, is that her son, that he was a child when he started liking little girls. And as he got older, The little girls that he looked at were no longer getting older. And at a certain point when he was a teenager, he realized that this was a major issue, that everyone around him was liking teen girls and that he wasn't and that he needed to do something about it. And it actually led to the creation of some of the first support groups for non-offending pedophiles. And not just that, but an amazing blog post and a crap ton of publicity and conversation surrounding this that absolutely needs to be happening. Another thing I think is really important to note is that the number one age, most common age where pedophiles offend is 14. And when we start realizing that we have 14 year olds touching little kids, we have to take a look at our society structure as a whole and see, first of all, why we police children's behavior around each other. What's our motivation for doing that? Secondly, what ways we can empower children to try to seek out the things they want without being in danger of like shock or shame. And then third, talk about real solutions for how we're going to heal children before they become adults because the trauma caused by a 14-year-old to a six-year-old is just as major, but it will be so much louder when that 14-year-old has access to their own apartment, their own um, computers, their own finances, and they can do whatever they want and go anywhere and have virtually no one to answer to. It's something that we have to be talking about. And we can't talk about it when everything that shows up online is, I know a solution for you, fucking kill yourself. Because no one will seek out help when all we're responding to or with is violence. On the same token, as a sex researcher, I am fascinated by sexual attraction. 
And even as a person that's fascinated by sexual attraction, I have gone to um, numerous conventions. In fact, one for what I consider to be the most prestigious organization for sex educators and therapists and have asked during a talk on, quote, to kink for kink, why we're not discussing things like pedophilia and incest and bestiality. And literally from a sex therapist was told because we don't talk about immoral things. We don't accept immoral things. Like, I don't understand who is doing this research. Consider that, in fact, for us to be able to learn and to heal and to grow, someone has to feel the want to do this research. And if it's not sex therapists, if it's not literally the people studying your brain and your behavior and your attractions and how all of those things are feeding into each other, then who the hell is supposed to be doing this research? So our acceptance has to go first and foremost to the people that want to be studying this and then our fucking funding needs to go to them also because no one is interested in paying for the treatment and the studies that it will take to heal pedophiles and to change their attractions and we're sitting around thinking that there's a solution. So this is where I'm coming back to how attraction is created, okay? We can't have a conversation about pedophilia and about kinks that are literally to kink for kink, without talking about how we learn to like things or how we start getting turned on by things. And that is exactly what my biggest fascination is about this subject and about literally every other subject. Attraction is created right at the area where disgust and excitement join. One of the first emotions that we learn to feel is disgust, and this is from a place of uh, self-preservation. You know, before you start toddling away from your parents, you have to know, oh, that is not going to be something that I eat. And in fact, at about age two, it turns into what we call neophobia, where children stop eating everything. And parents are like, I don't understand what happened. My kid used to eat everything, and now they don't eat anything green or red or yellow. Well, yeah, because our brains literally switch something on that says we need to be afraid of things that we haven't been exposed to hundreds of times. And even though you may think you've given your kid peas hundreds of times, most of the time you haven't, and they learn to be afraid of that. So in those moments where they're triggered, those are the moments where we create pathways to excitement. The same way we play peekaboo with our children, the same way we scare them, the same way we tickle them, we are creating these neural pathways that are linking to excitement. Now, when you're very, very young, a lot of things that you see and notice will create impact in you. And we don't realize how much they're going to impact our later selves. But arguably, a lot of people like BDSM and light bondage simply because they were spanked as children. And to them, it becomes either a way to regain control from those spanking relationships and the relationship between feeling shameful and spanking, and then sex being shameful, so therefore there's a link. People learn to associate these things together, even if you can't identify it. So I'm not saying you're going to have this moment in your life that you remember, and bam, that's where it triggered. No. Sometimes we don't even know what happened, but something was seen by our brain as exciting or as disgusting, and our flight or flight kicked in, and for us, that actually became sexually arousing. Now, if you consider that 
probably as a child, you were exposed to other naked children. You were probably exposed to um, little kids bathing close to you, like if you bathed with your siblings. And by the way, most pedophile offenders, 14 being the age, are actually offending against their siblings. It's super, super common. And how does a family deal with an offender being another member of the family that is a trusted member and that literally cannot be just pulled aside from the family and left to kind of navigate that sphere on their own. In fact, a lot of our child psych wards are filled with kids who are pedophile offenders that no one knows what to do with because they're going to have to go back home at some point, back home to the victim that they've been abusing knowing that the way attractions are created are by kind of accidental exposures to things. And again, I should say probably the first time a child saw another child's genitals being touched in any way is during a diaper change, for example, because we tend not to shy kids away from that. Am I saying don't let your one kid watch your other kid get their diaper changed? No, I actually believe the complete opposite. I think that we should have a lot more visibility of sexuality, a lot more visibility of genitals, a lot more visibility of naked bodies in front of our children because I believe that children um, can absorb shame by our own behaviors towards our body and that if we make them feel ashamed, they're less likely to seek out help and support for any kind of issue they may have. But it is an interesting point. Who knows what is the trigger point for someone that then becomes something they come back to in their memory as something that is attractive. Knowing this information and the reason it's important for me to tell you about how attractions are created is that if you understand that, you also understand it is impossible to create a world with no pedophiles. There is no solution that will kill off all of the pedophiles. So that idea that I have the solution, we shoot them all in the head, is completely false, is completely um, unaware, and we must do better so that we create a better world for each other. Um, the last thing I want to say is that the people that are studying pedophilia, the treatments are working. Um, they're working with people who have been convicted of crimes against children. Most of the time, people who have been convicted of crimes against children who have been released are actually people who have been watching child pornography. And they are strictly monitored and they are um, given mandatory therapy. And that therapy has shown to have less than a 2% reoccurrence rate. It's actually like the most beneficial therapy of all of the therapies that exist. And this is being performed by the tiny, tiny percentage of the population that thinks it's important to be doing this kind of work. In fact, of all of these people, this is what was mentioned during the talk that I went to, of all of these people that were in jail, more than 80% of them had disclosed that they actually tried to seek help by some medical professional and we're told that they didn't offer that type of help. So if you have a person struggling with uh, minor attraction and you don't have resources for them as a person that is supposed to have resources for them, then there's a flaw in the system, right? We have to create better avenues. So lastly, I am hoping that you are still listening this far, but if for some reason you or someone you know that has chosen to confide in you, which is extremely rare, um, would like to seek support for an attraction to minor children, visit virped.org 
which is virtuouspedophiles.org. And yes, that is a real organization that um, is only for people who have never offended and who would like to stay that way. Um, also, An- Angel Blue is um, an interesting organization. They have a pedophile support group and people can share, like write letters. It's like a it's like a Dear Abby thing where you can like ask for advice, but people, they will publicly post anonymous letters from pedophiles seeking support. And I encourage anybody to go um, check it out just so that you understand um, kind of what people are going through in our community and why we need to help them. That website is ange-bleu.com and then search pedophile support group and you can find a lot of information on it. Please let me know what you thought about this post. You can shoot me an email. You can check my website out and then write to me through my contact there. And I'm hoping that together we can make the world a better place by having open, honest conversations about sexuality, no matter how taboo, no matter how fetishy, no matter how sad or damaging the consequences of those orientations can be, because I really honestly believe that it can be a better world for us and our children if we can do that. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. This has been another podcast of Haven Space. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Haven Space by Sarah and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Haven Space by Sarah. If you enjoyed this talk, consider becoming a patron and helping fund more talks like this in the future.